Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. We uh, continue our series uh, looking at the carols of Christmas. Last week we touched on Hark the Herald Angels Sing. This week we take a bit of a deeper look at the carol, O Come All Ye Faithful, that we sang uh, this morning. Uh, And before we kind of dive into that, I I wanted to ask you the question, what is it that you adore? You heard me already ask the kids this morning and uh, me give an answer for my daughter and that she adores the Wiggles. Uh, But uh, what is it that you adore? Now, to help you answer that question, maybe I should give you a little bit of clarity around the the meaning of the word adore, because it's a word that we don't really use that often. We can use it in a few different ways. First, we, we can use it in a informal, probably, probably I'd say an incorrect way when we use it in this kind of formal, informal way, where we say something like, oh, I just adore chocolate cake. Uh, and when we say, oh, I just adore chocolate cake, we mean we really like chocolate cake a lot, don't we? We, we maybe value it above, uh, over and above all other cakes, perhaps even over and above all other food. So that's the, kind of the first way that we can use the word adore. The second way we can use the word adore is when we say something like, oh, I really adore my wife or my husband. And when we use it like this, well, perhaps we're getting a little closer to the, the, the meaning and the original uh, purposes of the word. When we use it like this, we're talking about a deep love and respect that we have for that person, that we value them perhaps over and above other people, that we, we like them even more than we like most other things. But even then, I think we're, we're, we're missing something of the, the heart of the meaning of this word adore. For it comes from Latin, uh, and I, being no Latin scholar, uh, just have to go on what I'm told. Uh, and the, it comes from two words in the Latin, the first part being the ad bit, which is the word for to, to do something. Uh, and then the second part, ore, which is where you get adore, ore, which means to speak or to pray. And when they put those two words together, it was a, a word that in Latin was used for, for worship. They would say adore when they wanted to say worship. And so when you were adoring something, you're, you're saying essentially that you, you worship it, that it has first place in your heart over and above all other things. That is the thing that you love and treasure and serve over and above all other things. A little bit strange, isn't it, to say that I adore chocolate cake, that it is the thing that I worship over and above all other things. A little more understandable, perhaps, to include your spouse or a close friend in that category. But even then, we know, don't we, from our own experiences that that he or she will, will let you down and if that's the pinnacle of your existence and the reason for your living and the, the thing that, and, or the person that you love most, that it's going to cause pain and upset and discomfort. Well, the carol today, O Come Let Us Adore Him, that we're thinking about and reflecting on is an invitation, an invitation for us to remove everything and anything that finds itself in first place in our hearts 
over and above the Lord Jesus. For he is the only one worthy of our true adoration because of what he's done, because of what we remember at Christmas time. So let us reflect on the hymn, O Come, Let Us Adore Him. It's a hymn, again, written in Latin. Again, I'm sort of uh, lamenting my lack of a good, proper Western education where I would have learnt some Latin, but I didn't. So uh, let me do my best. It's a Latin hymn uh, called Adeste Fideles. Did anyone do Latin here? Anyone done Latin? I had one person in the morning service who'd done Latin. Oh, you've done Latin? Is that right? Adele Fidestes? Is that how you say it? Oh, you don't know. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, there you go. Even if I'd done Latin, I'd have no idea what I was talking about. So, uh, and it's a, a, a hymn that means literally, be present or near, ye faithful. Or, uh, I think more clear, be present or near, you faithful ones. It's asking the, the, for the presence uh, of the faithful ones. And uh, when it was originally uh, sung and written, for a while, uh, the, the author got lost, uh, but they've done some more historical research. And we know now that the hymn was written in 1744 by an English layman called John Francis Wade. He published it in a book of hymns a few years later in 1751. Uh, and unlike Hark and Herald and Angels Sing, so if you're here last week, you might remember how Charles Wesley wrote that, then he asked for a slow tune, then it got the tune that we know today, which was done by a couple other people, and then someone else changed the words a bit. Well, unlike all of that that happened to Hark and Herald and Angels Sing, uh, O come all ye faithful, uh, uh, O come let us adore him, sorry, brain fade, uh, uh, was actually kind of it was written as it is John Wade he wrote the lyrics and he wrote the music and and essentially barring a few minor adjustments uh, it's the the lyrics and the tune we sing today with one exception and that is extra verses so he wrote verses one two six and seven which we sang uh, first up this morning uh, but someone else added verses three to five and someone else added another verse that no one ever sings. Uh, So there you go. Uh, So the seven verses that are in our hymn book, if you look up hymn number 228 in the blue hymn books in your pew, you'll see there one, two, six and seven are the originals and then three to five, uh, someone else wrote them later on. They too were written in Latin and they were translated uh, along with the first uh, verses by... Frederick Oakley in 1841. He translated this Latin hymn into English and interestingly, Frederick Oakley, he was a priest and from my research, it seems that he translated the hymn uh, in his final years as an Anglican priest before he switched over to become a Catholic one, which means this is our hymn. Uh, So there you go. Uh, Anyway, interesting history aside... Uh, what do we see the hymn talking about? I, only, I thought for the sake of brevity, because it's seven verses, uh, that I'd simply reflect on the original uh, four, the first two and the last two in our hymn book. Uh, and as we look at these, we see uh, uh, something uh, appear, don't we? Uh, for in verse one, uh, we're encouraged to, to, to reimagine and to, and to visualise uh, ourselves there with the infant Jesus in Bethlehem's stable, and to marvel 
uh, at this, the fact that, that God has come, that he is the, the ruler of the world, and yet here he is in the back blocks of Bethlehem uh, in, a, in, a, in a dirty manger, in a disgusting stable, in, in the form of a human baby. It doesn't get much weaker than that, and yet this is where God has chosen to enter the world. We're encouraged to visualise that and to marvel at the King of Kings, to behold him there, lying in that manger. And then in verse 2, similar to Hark the Herald Angels last week, we're encouraged to, again, really uh, think hard and deep about the incarnation, about the fact that this baby Jesus was God himself taken on flesh. True God of true God, light of light eternal, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. He chose to come and to be with us. Though he had all the glory of the Father, he chose to empty himself of that and become a baby child. Verse 6 or 3 in the original reminds us again uh, that the shepherds were caught up in this. Uh, as they heard the choirs of angels sing in exultation, singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to all men. And it again reminds us that this was an event of worldwide, in fact, uh, universe-wide, heaven and earth-wide significance. And then the final verse, verse 7, or the original verse 4, calling us to give praise and adoration to the Word, to Jesus, to our Lord who was with the Father but appeared in flesh. It again majors on this this, uh, idea of the incarnation, that he is the one who reveals God to us in the flesh. This is a carol, like many of them, strangely, written about the incarnation, the coming of the Christ child, that focuses us on this fact, this this amazing thing that happened in, in human history where a baby is born, but this is a baby like none other because in this baby we have God in the flesh. And as he grows up and lives, he reveals God to us. As he dies... And rises again. He reveals God to us. He shows us what God is like. He does the work of God in bringing all man to him. And as I reflect on these carols, and this carol in particular, and this focus on the incarnation, my mind is taken to Paul's beautiful words about the incarnation in Philippians 2. Let me read to you them from verse 6 to 11. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus humbled himself, became a human, 
lived the perfect life none of us could live, died on the cross for us, and now he is king of the world and worthy of all our praise and our glory. That's what this carol is about. And that's why this carol finishes each verse with that chorus. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. This carol is a call to adore the Lord Jesus, to worship him, to hold him dear, to put him first in our hearts. See, it's very easy, isn't it, when we think about Christmas and we think about uh, God coming in the flesh, it's very uh, easy for us to get sidetracked uh, down a sort of theological uh, train of thinking where we go, well, how does that actually work? What's the mechanics of that? How does, how does, how does God exist in, in the Father and the Son? And they're one but two, and yet now one's in... Like, there's a lot of kind of difficult theological thinking that, that's required uh, and is good to happen, uh, but it happens secondarily to the first fact of simply adoring the fact that it happened, the fact that the Lord Jesus came to earth, the fact that he loved us so much he was willing to work through all those mechanics and make it happen for us. The danger is that at Christmas we get obsessed with explaining how it happened and miss the very fact that it happened, and miss the very fact that Jesus is inviting us to adore him. We need to adore the Lord Jesus. We need to see uh, the beauty of what he's done for us. And in fact, that's what's happening on the first Christmas night, isn't it? That they're just caught up in the wonder of what's going on. So let me read to you from uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 15 to 20. When the angels had left them, the shepherds that is, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph uh, and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds, so moved by this experience, the the angels appeared to them, told them to go to Bethlehem. They've done it. They've seen this baby. They're they're absolutely overjoyed at, at, at what they've been told and what they've seen. And so their hearts overflow with worship and adoration. And in the middle of all that, we've got Mary. Mary, too, amazed by what God has done. No doubt, as the, as the mother of this child she's given birth to, sitting there, filled with love for the baby she sees in front of her, and told these wonderful things by the shepherds that God has done, and remembering all that God has already told her in, in, uh, through the angels. And she says, and we read there in verse 19, that she treasures up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And as I think about adoration, I think there we see it, don't we? In, the, in Mary, beside the manger, 
filled with love for the person of Jesus and treasuring up all the good things that God has told her about who he is and what he's going to do and overflowing with love from her heart. That's adoration. That's having Jesus front and centre. And I wonder if that describes you. That you love Jesus so much that when you read about him in scriptures, you just, you just drink it up and treasure the words of scripture because they're about your first love. You can't wait to open the pages of the scriptures tomorrow and see more about your best friend, the Lord Jesus, and praise him for who he is and for what he's done. And rejoice that you get to know someone like this. That he loves you. That he saved you. That he died for you. That's adoration. That's what this carol wants us to be like. Because of what Jesus has done for us. More than that, because of who Jesus is. Well, I want to read a uh, short article by an American scholar, Jared C. Wilson, which I think is a great challenge for us uh, and a great motivation for us to be people who adore Jesus. Let me read it to you. We are typically very quick to note when someone is not showing love for their neighbour. But what about love for Jesus? Should it settle implicitly? Is love for Christ something that is sufficient when latent? What I notice a lot every day in the Christian spheres of social media is just how incredibly adept we evangelicals are at doctrinal criticism, cultural rebuke, theological analysis, biblical exegesis, contending for the faith in apologetic and ethical debates, pithy spiritual bon mots, religious advice, and of course, the quoting of Christian leaders present and past. But what seems less prevalent is adoration of Jesus. When we see a Bible verse, we run its meaning through our mind and can expound on it with intelligence. But when we see Christ before us, do we stagger at his beauty and exult in it with awe? Do we adore Jesus? When we see a lost person acting a fool in the news, our righteous indignation runs right through our fingertips to our keyboards. But when we see Christ before us, does our righteousness crumble and run right to his feet in a posture of supplication? Do we adore Jesus? <coughs> When we see that someone is wrong on the internet, we feel responsibility to speak up, to be the one to stand in the gap between their ignorance and our assurance. But when we see Christ before us, supreme and sovereign and saving, do we feel the words of his radiance? Do we adore Jesus? When we see one of our Christian heroes saying something smart or funny or challenging, we send them a virtual high five and echo the proclamation in shouts of appreciation. But we, when we see Christ before us, do we lift him high in our hearts and herald his glory with shouts of acclamation? Do we adore Jesus? 
when we look at Jesus, are we warned or do we shrug our shoulders? Some professing Christians don't seem to speak of Christ at all. Let them ask themselves, do I adore Jesus? Has Jesus become our mascot, our projection? When you look at him, what do you see? There's nothing wrong with using the internet and public squares for all kinds of messages, from the serious to the silly. And I don't mean to suggest that there is. I just want to ask sometimes, but do you adore Jesus? It seems you're all fired up about all sorts of things, but it's not clear if you love Jesus. I don't think we should simply assume from some peripheral fire that the central ignition is the love of Christ. Christ is the apex of all that is precious, the centre of all that is glorious and delightful. He is the very point of existence. He is the son of the living God, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, who was and is and is to come. Oh, come, let us adore him. Not scrutinise, utilise or analyse him. Do you adore Jesus? For that ought to be the overwhelming overflow of our hearts. When we sing this carol, O come, let us adore him, the question on our hearts and in our minds is, is the answer yes, I will I want to. I can't help but. So let me finish by asking you, what does it look like for you to adore Jesus? What does it look like for you this Christmas to make sure he's got the number one place in your hearts? What does it look like for you to rejoice at who he is and what he's done for us and to have that overflow out of your hearts? It'd be great, wouldn't it, if we could be all like Amity was in that uh, kids' talk this morning. When I start just even mentioning the wiggles, it just flows out of her. She just starts wiggling her fingers and excitedly saying wiggles and thinking maybe there's going to be some wiggles around. Wouldn't it be great if that's how it was for us and Jesus? That the very thought of him makes our hearts skip a beat. That the very thought of his presence, that the very uh, thought of uh, all that he's done for us just means we overflow with excitement, wonder and love. That's what it looks like to adore Jesus. I pray that you may adore him every day this Christmas and until he comes again. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church, www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.